All right, well, good morning. How is everybody? If the light starts flickering, we're just going to have a disco in here and it'll be all right. So we'll just roll with it. If you are a guest with us this morning, uh, we've been in a series through First and Second Samuel for a while now, but we're going to take a break from that today uh, and call a timeout. And we're going to talk about uh, something that I've talked about in bits and pieces uh, here or there uh, lots of times, but I've never just taken the time to just kind of pull at least some of it together and, and talk about it just kind of, you know, all, all at once. And that is dating. Dating. And somebody says, well, how are you doing that out of First and Second Samuel? We're going to jump out of it, but kind of the background of it is when you look at First and Second Samuel, we've seen that David is a polygamist, right? That's what he is. He like that was the culture of the day. That's what everybody did then. But that's not what God's word said. From the very beginning, Genesis 2, 24, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife, singular. Right? And so the culture was all polygamy. And so David conformed. And maybe he was blind to it because the culture was still... But the reality is that he conformed to the culture as it related to marriage rather than conforming rather than following God's word as it relates to marriage. And when I look at our culture today, there's lots of things that we've conformed in, but one of them, as a decade of being a pastor now, that is pretty prevalent that I see is that in a lot of ways we have conformed to the culture outside of Scripture as it relates to dating rather than taking our cues on dating and how that's to be done from God's Word. And so in a lot of ways, we're very much David. And maybe we're blind to it because we're so enmeshed in the culture, but the reality is in a lot of ways we've done that. And so today I want to try to look at Scripture and see what it is that God says about dating. All right? And, and a lot of this is just going to be principles. I can't, I mean, nowhere in the Bible are we going to find, all right, you know, turn to Hezekiah 4 and here are seven steps on how to date, right? That's not in the Bible. You're not going to find that. But as you look across the totality of Scripture, you begin to find some principles that do relate and do speak into our lives as it relates to dating. And so this morning, that's what I want to try to do. For those of you who uh, are single, who are not yet married, maybe were married and aren't anymore and may want to get married, or for those of you who are married and, and, and you're raising children, or what, there's going to be, like, I think this is going to be helpful, Lord willing, for all of us. And it's going to be hard for all of us in some ways, because this is where just being honest with you. If you have ever dated, ever, then on some level, at least on some level, as it relates to God's word, we've blown it. At least on some level. Everybody in this room who has ever dated on some level has blown it. I know Sarah and I have. Okay? And so let's, you know, clear the air there. Like, that's where we're at. We're all in this together. But let's see what it is that God's word does say about dating. And listen, God can forgive us of our past mistakes. 
And he does. There's no sin that's too big for the cross. I'm going to say that a gazillion times today. Because we're going to be here a while today, just FYI. This one takes a little while. And he can forgive us. And he does forgive us. But he does call us as his people to date in a distinctly Christian way. And to raise our kids or to speak into others' lives as it relates to dating in a distinctly Christian way. And so let's begin and kind of look at a little bit uh, as it relates to this. You know, Jeff read, even as the flickering was happening, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And that's true of our dating as well. We want our dating to be transformed by Christ. So when he says, walk like this, we walk like that. Yes, because he's authoritative and he's God. But also because he's good and he's for us and his ways are better than our ways. And if we will trust him and follow him, it will go well. It will go better for us. And so let's just kind of jump into it and talk about it. Go ahead and give you kind of the the big uh, three notes that are in your bulletin so that you can just fill in with little things that hit you as you go go along. So the three things, number one, we're going to talk about the purpose of dating. Try to do that pretty quick. So number one, the purpose of dating. Number two, the person to date. The person to date. And then number three, practical principles on dating. So you see what I did there? I had all P's. Like, I never alliterate. Today, I am full-on Baptist, alliterated with the P's, right? So the purpose of dating, the person to date, and practical principles on dating. And listen, I'm not going to be able to say everything that needs to be said today, even if we go a little bit longer. So what we're going to do is, on the way out, if you have a question that I do not get to, or just a question you want to ask on the way out, like take your bulletin, the little tear-off section that's for a Connect card. And if you're a guest, please fill that out and use something else. But write a question down if you have it. Stick it in the box on the way out. And we'll probably pull three or four out of those out of that this week um, and do a Facebook Live panel discussion. And I'll try to answer those. Um, or, uh, you know, us as staff pastors, will try to answer those. Um, so throw a question in the box. It'll be... You'll be able to see it on your way out, probably on one of the two credenza things. Both the credenza things on the way out, uh, you'll be able to find that. All right, well, let's talk about the purpose of dating. The purpose of dating. What is the purpose of dating? Was well, not just to have something to do on a Friday night. It's not just to have someone to hang out with and go to events with, talk with, listen to. All right, it's not just for that. Somebody's like, well, it's to find a mate. Okay, yeah, it is, absolutely. But even that, that's a much better answer, but even that's secondary. Super important, we're going to come back to it. But even that is secondary. Because marriage is not your mission. Your life is to be lived for God, not some guy or some girl. There's a far higher mission than matrimony. And that mission is the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, including dating, do so for the glory of God. And so even your dating is to be for the glory of God. It is to point people to Christ. 
you as a person you're dating, but those who look at your date. Man, their dating is different. What is different about that? Why do they date in the way they do? In obedience to God. God is glorified as we obey Him. And so you're constantly, you know, like it, it, when you approach dating with this premise, no longer is it just about you, no longer is it just about the person you're, you're dating. Now it's about a much higher purpose. It has an inherent purpose in you trying to bring glory to God and that will change the way you date. And so you're constantly asking yourself, am I glorifying God in this? Am I pleasing my Savior in this? This is not just about you. God speaks. He's king. We obey. And yes, there's forgiveness because we will mess it up. But is there repentance and endeavoring in this way? Or is there just, psh, whatever. And so that's the ultimate purpose, to bring glory to God. Because everything we do, whether we eat or we drink or whatever we do, is to bring glory to God. But like I said, super important secondary purpose is finding a mate. All right? It's figuring out, is this someone that I should marry? That's what dating is for. And so if you're not ready to get married. Listen, I'm not saying like there's this absolute prohibition on all dating. Okay, the Bible doesn't say that. And so I don't want to bind consciences where scripture doesn't. And there's something fantastic to be said about guys and girls hanging out in groups, learning how to just not be weird around one another. Right? That's a good thing. Cross-gender friendships are a good thing. Which is what dating is really about anyhow. Friendship. But if you're not ready to get married... Again, I'm not trying to say what the Bible does it, but I think wisdom would say, think through it carefully with people that you love, people that know you, and people that walk cross closely with Christ. And if you do date, keep it pretty casual. Dating groups, don't be uber exclusive, and learn what true friendship between a boy and a girl look like, and realize you're probably dating someone else's future husband or future wife. But if you are of an age in a situation where you can marry, then what you're trying to do is to determine who it is you are to marry. Okay, to see if a certain person that you met at church, you met at work, you met through a friend, or on a good online dating app, all right? Because there's good ones and there's bad ones. But you're just trying to determine <clears throat> if this person that you've gotten to know is the person that you should marry or not. And so let's talk about that person. So number two then, the person to date. All right, the person to date. Again, you're looking for a spouse. You're not just looking for someone to do something with on the weekends. You're looking for a spouse. You're looking for marrying material. 
And this is where the Bible, though it does not give us a checklist, does lay down a couple of absolute musts. In fact, literally, it, it, it literally it's a couple. There are just two, like the Bible only lays down two absolutes as it relates to the person that you are to marry. And so since dating is to glorify God and find a spouse, these are also the absolutes on the kind of person you are to date. And the first one is this. They must be the opposite gender. I mean, straight up in this culture, yeah. They must be the opposite gender. This is God's design for marriage. Genesis 2.24 again, which is kind of like God's blueprint for marriage. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so God gave Adam a wife, right? He, he, he didn't look around for a suitable helper and give him a lab. He didn't look around for a suitable helper and make for him another man. And he also didn't give him multiple women. He gave Adam a wife. This is God's design. Marriage is his deal. It's his doing. And as such, he defines it. Now, if you're in here and you struggle with SSA, Right, same-sex attraction. This is a safe place to struggle with that. And we will walk with you through that. We'll walk with you in that. And we'll call you to celibacy. And we'll help you. And we'll befriend you. And we'll love you as a brother or as a sister in Christ. So this is a safe place. And I don't want anyone who might struggle with same-sex attraction to think that in some way, shape, or form, we view your struggle with sexual sin in a way that, like in some different category of the way we view other struggles with sexual sin. Whether it's adultery or pornography or premarital sex, that they're viewed as like some sort of kind of acceptable sin, but homosexuality or urges that way are, are, are a different category. No, it's all the same. It's all sexual immorality. It's all a deviation from God's very good design. And so we're all fighting this together again, and we'll walk with you in that. But this is the first absolute that Scripture lays down for someone we should date. It should be someone of the opposite gender. The second one is absolutely same level of importance. And it is this. They must be a Christian. They must be a Christian. If you are a Christian, who you date and who you marry must be a Christian. They must be a follower of Christ. The Bible makes this very, very clear across both Testaments that a Christian can only marry another Christian. From the Old Testament, or, or from a broad, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And from broad statements like unequally yoked, right? To narrower statements like 1 Corinthians 7, marrying in the Lord. And it's their believers to crystal clear prohibitions in the Old Testament of marrying someone who does not worship the one true triune God who sent the Messiah to rescue us from our sins. 
And so absolutely you have to know, is this person a believer in Jesus Christ? Do we share faith? If that's a no, then the dating's a no. And listen, I get it. I know it can sound very easy. I know it can sound, this person's so close. They're almost there. Or, or this person really loves me and he's promised not to interfere with anything. He's promised that I'll be able to raise the kids and take them to church and those sorts of things. But the Bible says, don't go there. Because things that are easy now, when it's all puppy love and rosy, and you just do anything to marry this person, because you love them. But at some point, it will get more difficult. And there will inevitably be consequences for marrying an unbeliever. And so for our own good, God steps in and says, don't. Don't. You may not do that. Now, what if you already did? What if just in the way your life has shaken out, that's the way it's kind of fallen out? Brother or sister, where the ideal is lacking, God's grace abounds. Where the ideal is lacking, God's grace abounds. And for the believer, Christ steps into whatever mess you're in, and he does not always calm the storm immediately. But he crawls into the boat with you and is with you in it. And so he doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you ever. And the Bible even speaks into how you're to live in situations like this. In 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Peter 3. But nevertheless, for those of you who are not yet married, and God says, don't go there. And so these are his two absolutes. The kind of person you are to marry, and therefore the kind of person you are to date, must be someone who is of the opposite gender and someone who is a Christian. Period. And not one in name only. Not one who's playing the part to try to like win you. Well, how do you know? Well, you ask and you watch. You ask. And you watch over a period of time. And you ask them about their relationship with Christ. You ask them what the Lord's doing in your life. You ask their pastor. You ask their friends. You ask your friends. You ask your pastors or elders. And listen. If you've not yet said I do to them and you're, you're in that kind of relationship. If you've not yet said I do. It's not too late to obey God and end it. And so those are the two absolutes from God's word. For your good, my good, the good of his people. Opposite gender, same faith. Opposite gender, same faith. Now, again, where the ideal is lacking, grace abounds and God can work. But if we are on this side of things, then let's try to walk in this way. And that's what I'm trying to do, is lay this out for those of you who are walking forward in this.
those of you who maybe have married someone who isn't yet a believer, your job is to try to lead them to Christ. That's what 1 Corinthians 7 is going to talk about. That's what 1 Peter 3 is going to talk about. And so that's what you're to do. And grace abounds and God can work. But let's try, if we have a chance, to go this way. All right? So those are his two absolutes. We're going to look at what God says. That's what he's going to say. Those two things. But that's not all I think that the Bible would want to communicate to us about the kind of person that we're to date. I think there are lots of other principles that are involved as well. So I think you're looking for more than just an attractive person who loves Jesus. But at the same time, we need to be reminded that God's perfect person for you or for me, which is Sarah. Man, I wish I hadn't said that yet because it's going to make what I just am about to say come across different. So I'm going to try to turn it. Sarah's perfect guy for her really isn't that perfect at all. So understand the perfect person for you really isn't that perfect at all. Because when you marry, you're going to marry a sinner. And you are one as well. Every person who marries is a sinner and marries a sinner. And so the search for a spouse isn't a pursuit of perfection, but a mutually flawed pursuit of Christ. And so beyond God's absolutes, I think you're just looking in a lot of ways for for some compatibility. Do you enjoy one another? Do you like one another? Right? Do you have fun together? Can you have fun doing super exciting things? And can you have a lot of fun doing super boring things? Do you enjoy being to one another? Do you have common interests? Do you have common goals? And you've got to have a lot of conversations about these sort of things. And sometimes these conversations need to be guided conversations with people who know you and love you and will ask things that you don't know to ask. Does one person want to go on the mission field and one person wants to have a career in the United States? And you never talk about that and then you get married and you're like, what? Does one person want to have no kids and one person wants to have a ton of kids and you get married and you're like, what? Does one person want to live in one place and one person wants to live in another place? You never talk about that. You just assume this and you assume that and you get married. What? You've got to talk. You've got to talk about these things. When Sarah and I were dating, we learned a lot from uh, Tommy Nelson. And he, he's a pastor, Denton Bible Church in Texas. Um, and he has his series on Song of Solomon. I think you may even call it the Book of Romance. I can't remember. But uh, we watched uh, a bunch of tapes. Yes, I'm old enough. They were VHS tapes, right? Be, be kind and rewind. And so we had tapes. And we watched all these tapes, and we read books. And to this day, I still remember his saying that uh, about you know dating that when you're when you're looking for a spouse, you look for someone who's running in the same direction as you are. And so his runners like this really. I mean, my ears really perk, but that's not what he's talking about at all. You look for someone who's running in the same direction that you are. Pursuing, you know, Christ. And you look to your left and you look to your right 
and you see that they're running same speed, going same direction, and you just say, come on over. Come on over. Let's do this together. And so that's what we did. We were pursuing Christ. She had come to Christ. I had finally started like growing in Christ and not being a hypocrite. I mean, I still am a hypocrite even to this day, but I was not purposefully being a hypocrite as much. We're all hypocrites, right? Can we be honest in here? Yeah, thank you. And said, come on over. And that's what we did. And outside of Christ, the best decision I've ever made in my life. Come on over. And so look for that. Look for someone going in the same direction. Look for someone who is growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Look for someone who ever increasingly, though falling and and fumbling, but, but stumbling forward, ever increasingly is seeking to love not just you, but others with a love that is patient, 1 Corinthians 13, and kind, and doesn't envy or boast. And this is the kind of guy you're looking for. Not perfection, they're going to fall, but endeavoring this way. Not arrogant or rude. Not insisting on its own way. Not irritable or resentful. Not rejoicing at wrongdoing, but rejoicing with the truth. Looking for a guy like that. And then don't overcomplicate it. I mean, a lot of ways, dating is pretty standard. You meet someone, you like them, okay? Like there should be an attraction to them. God's wired us that way, and so that's good. That's a good thing. You should be attracted to them, right? We just have to keep a check on that till we get married. But like the husband of the couple that did our premarital counseling said to me one time, he said, don't marry someone that you don't want to go to bed with. So there should be an attraction there. But yeah, you you meet this person, you start hanging out as friends. It's going well. And then at some point you have this awkward conversation. So like, what's going on? Are we dating like exclusively? Exclusive? Like, what, what, is, what is this? Are we, it's really awkward. That's just how it rolls. What's going on here? You know, is, it, is this where we're at? Can we, can we, can we now, you know, okay, we're, we're going to be a little bit more than friends. We're going to move forward and see if this is what God has for us. Like, and so it's not in some way, you know, all crazy hard. Just get to know people. Get to know them in casual settings. And then com- progress from there into a dating, a relationship, and from, the, from there to marriage. But folks, I really do want to come back and kind of hammer on one thing, because for all I've said about compatibility, understand this. Regardless of the believer that you marry, you may be more compatible on the day than, that you're married than 30 years from now. You may grow apart in some ways because you're both going to grow and change. People come and be like, he's changed. Well, yeah, you've been married for 10 years. Of course he has. So you're going to grow, you're going to change. 
And so you may, like 30 years from now, 50 years from now, not be as compatible as you are the day you get married. And so for all I've said about compatibility, understand that ultimately marriage is really far less about compatibility than it is commitment. Commitment. And after all, there has never been a less compatible marriage than the sinless Savior and His sinful bride. And yet He's committed. And that's the marriage we're seeking to all emulate. And so marry someone like that, all right? And therefore date someone like that. Someone who is of the opposite sex, who is a legit Christian that's pursuing Christ, flawed and failing, but pursuing, and someone you like being around. And so spend time together. Become friends first and then see if that's what God has for the two of you. And so we've talked about the purpose of dating. We've talked about the person to date. But now let's just get really practical and get into some principles for dating. So number three, practical principles for dating. Number one, pray. Number two, pray. Number three, pray. Pray. For like anything and everything you can think about as it relates to marriage. That God would give you clarity on is this what he might have for you and pray for your future spouse and pray for your purity and pray for your holiness and pray for your witness and pray that you would glorify God so number one two and three pray but I'm number four then focus on the great commandment focus on the great commandment what's the great commandment is to love the lord your god with all your heart your mind your soul and your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself and so seek to love god first to not violate revelation 2 4 to where jesus can say hey i have this against you you abandoned your first love and so focus on christ pursue him seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you and so as you date be be on your guard and don't allow any love to begin to overshadow or replace your love for God and if that starts to happen brother or sister shut it down at least for a while and get your priorities in line guard yourself from anyone or thing even, like if we're just going to apply this even more broadly, that would seek to replace God in your heart and life. I mean, more and more as the world is watering down dating, your relationship can be a picture of, I mean, a provocative picture of your fidelity to Christ and what it means to follow Him. Because ultimately the whole purpose of dating is to glorify God. Am I glorifying God in this? Number five. Treat your date like who God says they are. Treat your date, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, like who God says they are. And so if you have a Bible, flip to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'm going to read like a verse or two. 
but it's on page 992 in the Bibles around you. Talking about treating your date like who God says they are. And so 1 Timothy chapter 5 says this. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. And so, like, think of a sister here, right? Particularly men, because this is a call to purity here. And think of how you are to love a sister. There's a tender, jovial affection toward one another, right? There's a familial fondness toward a sister, and you're to love her. You're to care for her. You're to be friends, like this is a good thing. Like a desire to be godly, maybe there's some boundaries you need to set up. I mean, that's good, that's fine. But I think in a lot of ways the church has overreacted and almost set up a culture where it's like wrong to talk to someone of the opposite gender. And that's ridiculous. You're brothers and sisters in Christ. You should love one another. You should know one another. That's what, you should talk to one another. That's what family does. And so love her as a sister in all purity. And protect her. She's your sister. I've heard stories of high school and college guys really getting this and developing a protective attitude of their sisters in Christ, like particularly in their you know, um, youth group or in their collegiate ministry. And so when some guy comes into the church looking to, to find or, or maybe already after a young lady, her brothers will pull the guy aside and say, listen, whatever you think you're up to, just know that me and all of these brothers are watching. And you hurt her, we hurt you. High school guys, college guys, and that would be... What, what if we loved our sisters like that? Ladies, what if you loved your brothers? I mean, I'm not saying you're going to go fisticuffs for them, but maybe you are. <clears throat> but what if you loved them like that? Brothers and sisters. And so this is how you are to treat your date. This is how you are to treat your boyfriend or your girlfriend... Until they become your spouse. If they become your spouse. As brothers and sisters in all purity. And so I'd encourage you. If you are interested in someone. And you think they might be marryable. Did I make that word up? Sweet. I thought I did. Well then spend time with them. Seek clarity. If this might be who God has for you. But you need to discipline yourself in your mind. She is my sister in the Lord. He is my brother in the Lord. And listen, you don't fool around with your brother and sister. That's nasty. And it's incest. I mean, like, you don't do that. And so how do you treat your sister? How do you treat your brother? With purity. Guys, you treat this girl like you would want someone to treat your baby sister. 
And so you encourage her, you cheer for her, you celebrate her, you encourage her, and you encourage her to spend time with other people. All right? You don't try to take her from that or, or try to lead her like you're her husband or have some authority in her life because until you say, I do, you don't. Until, and so until you know that you know that you know that well, then you need to date with this mindset. This is my brother. This is my sister. And I'm dating what could be someone else's husband. I'm dating what might be someone else's wife someday. And I'm spending time with a sister and with a brother. And so pray, 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 pray. Focus on the great commandment. Treat your date like who God says they are. And then closely connected that, but to just really point it in, pursue purity. Pursue purity. Like if I was going to say the two things that I have seen in 10 years of ministry that are the most ignored things as it relates to dating, it would be that you're to marry only a believer and that, you, and that premarital sex is a sin and you're not to engage in it. Now people have like forgotten that. And it's a forgivable sin now. It absolutely is. Praise the Lord, it's a forgivable sin. But we don't need to treat it like it's not when it is. And so whenever, you know, I mean, one of the most, just, it, it, we know there needs to be some boundary. Because one of the most often asked questions I get as it relates to dating is, how far is too far before marriage? Therefore, we inherently know there is to be some line in the sand that we're not supposed to go past. We like know that. It's just, where is that? And how can I push it? And so listen, Satan's great desire for you, Satan's great desire for you, is that you would have as much sex as possible before you get married and as little as possible after you get married. That is Satan's desire for you. God's desire is the exact opposite, that you would have no sex before marriage, and lots of sex after marriage. That's God's desire. That's God's plan. For our own good, no sex before we get married, including what we'll call hyphen sex, for sensitive ears, fill in the blank, put a hyphen sex, blank hyphen sex, hyphen sex is sex. Does that make sense? Okay. And so that's God's plan. No sex before you get married. Lots of sex after you get married. But Satan, on the other hand, <clears throat> Satan, wants to, Satan wants you to bring as much baggage as possible into your marriage and do all sorts of regrettable things before then. Now listen, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you. No matter any of that, can it be redeemed? Absolutely. Absolutely. Praise the Lord, there are no sins that are too big for the cross of Christ. But still, there are consequences of sexual sin. Always are. From guilt 
to shame, to regret, to disease, to memories. And again, they can be forgiven, all right? But God will be glorified and you will be benefited to not go there. And so lest you think I'm just making up this stuff about this call to purity. And that, you know, all premarital sexual activity, including petting, including sexting, second base, third base, all these things, all that is out of bounds. Lest you think I'm making that kind of stuff up, let me just read you a few texts and understand the definition of fornication. That's all sexual activity outside of marriage, whether premarital or extramarital. And when I get to Galatians 5 in just a minute, I'm reading the Bible. I'm just going to say some things. You're going to be like, that's in the Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this. You don't have to turn. I mean, you can turn there, but you can make notes if you want. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20 says this. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So growing in Christ is part of this. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, which means non-believers, who do not know God. Galatians 5. Verse 19. Right before it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It says this, it talks about the fruit of the flesh or the works of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control connecting back up to those previous verses. The Bible is, I mean, we could go on and on and on and on. The Bible is full of texts like this, and they still pertain today. Whether the culture buys it, believes it or not. We're not of the world. Though we live in the world, we're not to be of the world as followers of Christ. Back in August, Sarah and I took our three oldest girls. I mean, all four of us went down to Georgia, but we took our three oldest girls to Six Flags. 
And we were there from the time that the, um, I mean, that the place opened up till the time that the place closed down. And there were like not a lot of crowds there. A lot of the Atlanta metro area schools were back in. And so it was fairly empty. And so, I mean, we killed it on riding roller coasters. We rode every single roller coaster that, you know, was like that they could meet the heights of um, multiple, multiple times, like tons. For example, Kira, I think, rode the Mindbender how many times? Nine times. <laughs> and, and like sometimes it was like, did it? Didn't get off because there's no one in line. Did it again. Didn't get off because there's no one in line. Did it again. Like, that's the kind of day it was. So we rode all of these roller coasters. I don't know if you've been there. There's one called Goliath. And it is true. Goliath. It is ginormous. It is amazing. You should ride it sometime. But all these roller coasters, I mean, you think about the people who designed them and, and who built these things. I mean, they're crazy with all these flips, with all these whoops, with all these barrel corkscrew. You know, Batman does like this a bunch of times in a row. And so they're designed to thrill. That, that is the design. That is the inherent design to bring joy and to thrill. And so when they put a seat belt or a safety bar across your lap, it isn't to be a killjoy, Right? They're designed inherently to thrill. But there are certain restrictions necessary for adventure. Likewise, God's rules as it relates to sexuality are not to keep you from thrills and joys, but to lead you into them, to lead you into a greater joy, which is Him but then even as it relates to sex, to a greater thrill in sex inside of marriage. I mean, in marriage where, where health isn't a concern, sometimes health's a concern, so there's some different things that need to be considered. But where it's not a concern, it should be frequent and it should be fun. That's God's design. And so God is most definitely not against our joy. But neither is he for those fleeting and shallow shadows of joy which the world offers. And so, well, then how do you avoid sexual sin in dating? A couple of things. One, I'd memorize some of those Bible passages that I just read. I'd memorize, I mean, those are... Memorizing Scripture is like handing ammunition to the Holy Spirit. So in the moment of temptation, the Holy Spirit's like, boom, 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 bring those things to your mind. Second thing is I would not, kind of like we talked about with David last week with what he did when he was just being stupid. Wouldn't put yourself in a position to be tempted. Or as Romans 13, 14 puts it, make no provision for the flesh. And so as you date, be private together in public. Be private, like spend time with one another, but do it in a public place. When you're first dating, you've been doing it in a group of friends, group dating, good. Claude, more of it. But as you want to spend time with just one person, do it in a coffee shop or at a restaurant where you're much less likely to get handsy. Go somewhere public to be private. And straight up, just 
don't go off to one another's bedrooms. College, don't go off to one another's dorm rooms. That is a recipe for disaster. It can go bad fast. So don't put yourself in a position to be tempted. All right? You go somewhere where you can talk, where you can laugh, where you can play, where you can joke around, where you can have fun, and you can talk about things. That are, you get to know one another and talk about, you know, things that are good and holy and enjoyable. Because if you do end up marrying, listen, a good percentage of your married life is just going to be hanging out. And so you want to see, do I like hanging out with this person? Will I like hanging out with this person for the next 50 years? And if you press the gas too fast on physicality, you've missed that, like what dating is for. It's to figure that out. And if the answer to that is yes, listen, the physicality will naturally follow after you've said, I do, and you've made vows and promises and been blessed and prayed for before God. And then just a word here, don't assume too much of yourself. Overconfidence in yourself. No, I won't, uh, don't falsely assume we'll be the one couple that won't struggle with this. I'll be the one person that won't struggle with this. It's God's design that sexual desire will grow as you are growing more and more together. That's God's design. As you're leading up to your marriage. In fact, it'd be more concerning if there was no sexual desire than if there is. So there ought to be that growth of that desire, yet it ought to be kept under control until it can be consummated after vows and blessings and prayers. And so the question to ask yourself, if you can have sex with a certain person, isn't, do I love him or her? Isn't, am I committed to him or her? The ultimate question is, am I married to him or her? If the answer is yes, Indulge yourself. If the answer is no, refrain. Somebody says, what about living together? Can we live together? That's a pretty common thing today. Folks, test drives are for cars, not marriages. They are for cars, not marriages. And so living together is absolutely out. I mean, on the one hand, 99% chance you are fornicating. No, no, we're just going to live together. We're not going to do that. You are a liar. Well, so, I mean, if someone came to me, no, 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 really, really, I bet you're a liar. Number one, number two, I still think you're lying. Number three, I still think you are lying to me. But even if I conceded that scripture says to flee from sexual temptation, to live together is to flee to sexual temptation. You're living together. How can you pray the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, while you are willingly walking into temptation, living in it, habitually, unrepentantly? And so the question really comes down to this. Do you love Jesus enough to keep your hands off someone else? Do you love Jesus enough to keep your hands off of them? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, do all things to the glory of God. I've got to hurry. I'm already out of time. Number five, and I'll shut it down really fast. Follow the golden rule of dating, which is it should be a community project. It should be a community project. Lean hard on the people who know you best, who love you the most, and who will tell you when you're wrong. We need friends that will speak into our lives that way. You need the church to speak into your life in that way. 
Like, you are the one who's ultimately going to make the decision of, you know, uh, marrying this person or not. But a lot of times, you're not the best person to assess that at every point. And you need someone to speak into your life. And so what I would encourage you, based upon Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, to invite people into your life. And give, like, find an older couple that you respect and you admire you, uh, you, their marriage and invite them to have a level of authority in your life to ask you hard questions. What is different about your dating relationship than anyone else's? Are you getting handsy with one another? Are you sleeping together? Asking you these hard questions when you know those questions are coming, which Sarah and I had these in our, uh, in our dating years, people asking us hard questions. And you know dude's going to be asking you that question. That helps you. Refrain. And so involve other people. Appeal to them to pray for you. Have them ask you hard questions and be involved in your life. And somebody's like, man, Joe, everything you just said, I have not done. I have blown it. I said at the beginning, we've all blown it on some degrees. So much of what I've said, I have personally blown. But we are to pursue this. And so somebody's like, I failed in all these, and now I'm married to a guy who doesn't love Jesus. I've, I've blown it, and I'm, I'm, I'm not married, but I have a trainload of baggage. Or, or right now, in the midst of what's going on, I'm blowing it right now. And maybe right now you realize that your relationship, you know that you shouldn't be in it. Or maybe right now you've realized that to yourself. Maybe you've, maybe you've justified it for years or you've justified that I could be in this relationship. You've rationalized it. But deep down you know that you should end it then friend end it. That impulse is pro- might just be from God. So don't try to smother it with more rationalization. End it. But don't just ghost on them either. Or you just like disappear no have a conversation and spinning kind of the classic line a little bit so that it's actually telling the truth now maybe you should look them in the eyes and say it's not you it's god and this isn't what he has for me and i love him enough to obey him even when it's hard and even when it breaks my heart because i care for you a lot but I know this isn't what God has for me. And so I'm going to trust him more than what my eyes can see. And I'm going to love him with all my heart, soul, and strength. And I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And I'm going to end this at least for now. And where the ideal is lacking, remember grace abounds. And so is dating like this perfect? No. Will it keep you from being hurt or disappointed? No. Will it guarantee that you'll never go through a heart? break and break up no but by god's grace it may guard us from deeper heartache and more devastating failure and so my prayer is that these principles would prepare you to love your spouse in a way that more beautifully and dramatically displays the truth and the power of the gospel and be willing to make hard decisions large and small to pursue marriage the right way. And whether you're ultimately married to this person or not, you'll thank each other someday.
So let's pray. Father, thank you for helping us get through so much material and so much time, Lord. I just pray for people's hearts, Lord. I know, I know that I know this is heavy. And every one of us in here have not towed the line as you've called us to. We've broken your commandments. We've sinned against you. Sometimes blindly, not knowing what we didn't know, and sometimes willingly and openly and flagrantly and not even caring. And if that's the case, Lord, I pray that however long we've been married, and we've, if we've never repented of that, we would repent of that. But Father, I pray you would flood our hearts that before the throne of God above, we have hope. We have one who has gone and paid for our sin. And one who was tempted in every way like we were, but without sin. And has taken our sin upon himself. And suffered and died in our place. And rose again that we might be forgiven. And that in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And so Father, I pray you would press that on people's hearts. I pray that you would press that on my heart. In Christ, we are forgiven. And we're called to walk in a distinctly Christian way. In Jesus' name, amen.